I've been gone for three weeks, so I've got a lot of material saved up. We'll, uh, at least three weeks worth. If you've got your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 6. <clears throat> now what you're thinking, Acts chapter 6 isn't the story of the triumphal entry, and you're right. <clears throat> but, Lord willing, you'll, uh, you'll see the tie-in as we work our way through. So we're going to read the first seven verses, Acts chapter 6. For those of you who are visiting with us, we've been kind of working our way through the book of Acts. And uh, we're going to continue that this morning, and uh, so Acts 6 is where we're at. I would just say, kind of on the front side of reading this passage for you, when we read this right now, you're probably going to wonder, why in the world are we going to waste time on this section? Uh, because it's kind of a sleeper text, but it is so full of uh, just really good stuff and some very profound and challenging stuff that um, as I worked my way through it, I thought, this just isn't a throwaway passage. None of them are, um, but this one really is um, is on its face, simple, um, but it has a lot of depth. So let's read it together. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and also Philip, Procurus, Nicor, Timnon, Parmenes, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word this morning as we come to it. Uh, we ask, Father, that uh, first my words concerning it and our meditations about it would be acceptable in your sight. And then, Father, we pray, plow our hearts Plant your word deep in it. Allow it to produce that harvest that you have appointed, all for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. So I titled the sermon, A Troubling Diversity, and you know, you've got a little bit of an outline there that we're, gonna, we're going to uh, we're gonna follow. And the things that we want to answer are, what, what divided them? What was the uh, what was the issue that caused a problem, and then what did they do? How did they go about solving that problem? And then in the end, where were they devoted? How did their uh, how did this 
increase their devotion and what did that look like? Um, some of you know I'm a, I, I like to backpack. I haven't been able to do a whole lot of it of late. But, uh, but if, if you had asked, like, if you could go and do one thing, Sam, what would it be? And it would be, it would be backpack. Like, uh, you know, take all my stuff, 40, 45, 50 pounds worth, stuff it in a, in a backpack, throw it on my back and go for five days and just be in the middle of nowhere. That's my idea of a good time. Um, and, uh, and backpackers have the saying. And the saying is this, you may have heard it before. It's not, the pack on your back, it's the grain of sand in your shoe. Uh, if you're on the trail, right, you can like endure the heaviest weight on your back, but let one grain of sand get in your shoe anywhere and be grinding on your foot and it feels like someone is driving a spike through your knee. Uh, it's that bad. And this, I know you're going, okay, so what does it have to do with this text? And here's what it has to do with this text. The smallest of problems arises in this story. A, a seemingly insignificant kind of an issue comes up. And it's that seemingly insignificant issue that threatens to blow apart this growing, thriving church that's, you know, Rapidly expanding outward. So let's look at it. What, what, what divided them? Why, why were they divided? When you look at this, it's not any of the biggies. It's not, there's no theological problem. Nobody's denying the Trinity that everybody's on board with who Jesus is. That isn't the question. Um, there are no big looming theological issues that bring this problem to the surface. The problem was, that the gospel was expanding so rapidly, there were people coming to faith so quickly that they were unable to to dis, distribute the goods that had been accumulated to the people that were in need. And the way that happened was this: uh, the text says there's two primary groups. There was there were the Hebraic Jews and there were the Hellenistic Jews. Okay. And so as the gospel had spread in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas, these were the two primary groups that began to, to kind of crop up in the church. And the problem was diversity, really. Um, the Hebraic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews didn't speak the same language. If you were a Hebraic Jew, you either spoke Hebrew or Aramaic. If you were a Hellenistic Jew, you spoke Greek. And so they had this language barrier that was that was now kind of dividing them. Uh, at the same time, you you were coming from two distinct cultures. So if you were a Hellenistic Jew, you kind of lived in and amongst people that thought like you, lived like you, did life like you. If you were a Hebraic Jew, the same goes for you. And so these were the two groups. And what happened was, you remember earlier in the book of Acts, that as all of these believers came together, they began to share the stuff that they had. Okay, And the text tells us early on, Acts chapter 2 and chapter 3, that nobody had need in their midst. And so what we know was happening was these people were coming to faith, and as they came to faith, they began to give of money. You know, just think, time, talent, resources. They gave their stuff. 
And all of that kind of went into this pot. And then what was happening was they were distributing these things to those who had need. And so as that system took place, what happened was the Hellenistic Jews began to complain. Now, I want to stop right here. We're going to, there's an, a little interlude that I want to, I want to have happen. And then we're going to pick up, back up that story. They began to complain. Now, unfortunately, that word just doesn't come across well for us. Because a complaint for us sounds very formal. The problem is that the word that's used there is the word for murmuring or grumbling. Ah, that takes on a whole nother uh, life of its own, right? A complaint, typically, as we think about it, is, okay, here's my problem. I give it to the person in authority. You deal with it. I have a complaint. Okay, so any of you could raise a complaint at any time. We kind of have this formal process. We take the complaint. We go through it. And by the way, sending me a letter with no name attached uh, or dropping it in my box is not the right way to make a complaint. Okay, that's just another aside. Anyways, I don't give any of those. Uh, but so they had, you, we have what we know are kind of normal processes for handling complaints. This was not that. This was the murmuring and the grumbling and the low level complaining that will rip a body apart. The Hellenistic Jews who had converted to Christianity, they had become Christians, were upset. They felt as if they were being overlooked, and they saw it as, a, as because of the mumbling and the grumbling, they saw it as an oversight that had intentionality behind it. Okay, so the Hebraic Jews and the 12 apostles, they believed, they felt as if they were overlooking them on purpose. And so they started to grumble and complain, okay? And that grumbling and complaining spreads, and it infects. There are a number of texts uh, throughout Scripture that um, remind us and tell us what to do with grumblers and complainers. Let me just give you a couple of them. Uh, and Titus, Paul warns Titus about such a person. He says this, same word is used. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, arguments, and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful, and they're self-contained and they're self-condemned. That uh, that uh, the the quarreling that is used there is the same word that's used in this passage. Um, that kind of quarreling creates dissension in a body. And it will rip a body apart. And so here is this early church. They're cruising along. People are coming to faith like crazy. Such that they have these sorts of problems. But in a normal church setting, would you be excited? Oh, like, like first you had 50. Then you had 500. 
Then you had 5,000. Then you had 10,000. I mean, in the American church, you know, put that guy on TV. I mean, something, something's going right, and things were going right. People were being converted. But this grumbling and this complaining threatened them. That's why I called it a troubling diversity. They didn't, they, 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 they couldn't handle the problem correctly. They couldn't handle it the right way. And so they went about this. Paul says in Romans 16, uh, giving the same sort of advice, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. Such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. They want to deceive people. The person who causes divisions is the grumbler. So, in this early church setting, the grumblers were rolling. And that was not helpful. And it threatened to split them. Let me just give you a word of encouragement. Don't let yourself fall into that category of being the grumbler and complainer. It's destructive. It it will just blow up a body. Instead, make a complaint. Whatever Whatever that difficulty is for you, whatever part of life you're talking about, just go and deal with the issue. Deal with it in a way that's God honoring and glorifying. Uh, this threatened the early church at a very fragile part in their existence. And because the problem was it imputed all sorts of ill motives to the apostles, to those who were distributing the food. Uh, They were saying of them, essentially, listen, you're overlooking our widows because they're Greek. And the reality was, They probably just didn't have a system in place. I know know, we think systems are bad and all of that, but they didn't have the right kind of system in place in order to handle the growth that they were experiencing. And so they pull back and they begin to think about it. But why were they dividing? They were dividing because there was grumbling and complaining and they had issues and they weren't being handled the right way. Thankfully, the apostles recognized that. And so let's look at what they decided to do. Here's what they decided to do. The apostles go, and the text tells us that they pulled together the disciples. This is an interesting text. It's an instructive text. A disciple is a Christian, and a Christian is a disciple. Okay? Those are used interchangeably. It's the same idea. You can't be a Christian and not be a disciple, a follower of Christ. And you can't be a disciple or a follower of Christ without being a Christian. Make sense? And so the apostles, those who have been given the keys to the kingdom, pulled together the disciples. That is, they got all these believers together. They pulled them all together, and they had a conversation. And the conversation probably went something like this. We got a problem. And the problem is, some of the widows, we've heard, (laughs) are being overlooked in the daily distribution of food and goods. And so we need to fix that. Here is our solution. Our solution is to drive ministry down to a lower level. Okay? Um, there's, There's a saying in the church, in order to grow bigger, you've got to grow smaller. And that's what they were doing. 
the apostles. Now think about this. The apostles recognized, okay, we can't do this. We can't do everything. And if you go back through Scripture, what you realize is that every time uh, the, the, the church is growing or the people of God are growing, this problem happens. Moses had it, and Jethro had to come to him and say, Moses, you're going to kill yourself, brother. you got to give some of that away. And so the apostles recognized, we got to give some of that away. We can't keep doing this. First, we're not doing a very good job of it. Second, we need to push that down to the next level. And so they brought all of the disciples together. Now, one of the things that, you know, is a geeky Presbyterian, I hope you're seeing is that the, the form of government we have comes right out of passages just like this. I'm not interested in being the sheriff. Marion is not being interested in being the sheriff, right? We don't want to be cowboys. We don't have any, we have, say zero. All right, maybe 1% of my heart wants to be a pope, okay? I don't know. But, But we have zero interest in being the guy at the top, directing everything, doing everything. That is That is so far from the desire of our heart. And it's because we've learned from passages like this in Ephesians chapter 4. So the apostles who had the keys to the kingdom that God had given, Jesus had given them the keys to the kingdom. They pulled together the church and they said, look, here's the problem. The problem is the daily distribution of food isn't going well. We need to change that. And so what we want to do is we want to lay hands on seven individuals. They were really still wrapped up and they wanted to do things in such good order and to have such good connection to their history that they chose the number of seven because that's the number of perfection. So they pull them together. We want to choose seven men. But we're not going to choose them. You choose them. Now think about that. The apostle, the apostles, keys to the kingdom. Look at the congregation of disciples and say, we're not going to pull, we're not going to appoint seven men. You're going to appoint seven men. And they did. They looked around and they looked at seven men, seven guys who were full of the Spirit. Verse three, brothers and sisters, okay? Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. And then what do they say? We will turn over the responsibility to them. Now, here is where some of you are going, ah, nice try, Sam. So they gave over the job of waiting tables. Big whip-de-doo, right? That's That's the impression here. The impression here is, okay, so they came together. The apostles are like, that's... Such a menial job that we're going to give that one away. All right? Uh, we're going to pass that one on to seven guys, and we're going to let them do that. The problem is that the text doesn't bear that out, and I'm going to show, I'm going to hopefully prove that to you. But they, they found the solution, and the solution was to empower the congregation to lay hands on people 
that they knew were full of the Spirit and full of wisdom in order to carry out the work of service in the church. And so there you see this beautiful pattern that begins to develop. It's not about big cowboys riding their horses, powerful in ministry, doing their own thing, rogue leaders. That's not what it's about. It's about shared ministry. And this is a part of that shared ministry. Let me take you to the third part. Here's the third part, and that is, I want you to see where they devoted themselves. As As they are thinking through this ministry, right? As they're thinking through uh, developing this idea, there, there is a word that gets used several times in the text. And it's the word from which we get, the Greek word from which we get our word deacon, which es- essentially boil it down means service or servant, depending on whether it's a verb or a noun. And, um, and <clears throat> the, the, Luke tells us that as they came together, okay, um, they they made these uh, selections of these men, and what they wanted to have happen was they wanted to continue in their service, and they wanted these men to continue in their service to the word. And, and, and here's why I'm I'm going to make the case that what they weren't trying to do was give away the the job nobody wanted. All right, because. Luke uses the same word for both ministries. The apostles, it says in the, in the passage, um, let's find it. Brothers and sisters, choose seven from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over them. We'll give, and we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Let me ask, does anybody have, because um, most of your translations are going to have some variation of ministry of the word there. Who's an NASB person? One, two, two, three of you, okay? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to look and tell me, is there a subscript next to that word ministry? There should be. And in the footnote, it will say service. The NASB understood what was going on in the passage, and they tried to put a little footnote in there. So in a lot of the NASB translations, there's like a little one, subscript one there, and that one will direct you to another section that says this word can also be translated service. And so what they were saying was, we're going to turn over the service of ministering the tables, which, by the way, could have been the distribution of food Or the word tables that's used there is the same word that's used for the money-changing tables. It could have been that they were to take care of all of the funds, all right, in the distribution of the food. Either of those is okay. And so what they were saying was, we're going to turn over this ministry of service, this service to take care of the distribution of food, and... We're going to focus on the service and the ministry of the Word. You see what's going on? They didn't see it as, hey, we're going to do the ministry of the Word. You guys go and take care of that service, you know, waiting on tables. What they were saying was, 
you're, we want to give you this part of the ministry. We're going to take this part of the ministry. And those are on this linear section. It's all ministry. It's all good. And it's all ordained by God. And to show that this wasn't just some, hey, you guys go, ah, look, we need some dudes to take care of the tables. Would you guys do it? What do they do? They pull them out. They pray over them, and they what? Laid hands on them. And you know what they were doing when they laid their hands on them? This isn't some cute act that we do, just kind of, you know, we're going to pray on you and lay our hands on you. This is a transfer of authority to those men. It comes from God. The apostles are, are merely just kind of the vehicle. But what they're saying is, you are now vested with the same authority we've been given to go and do ministry. That's really critically important. Because the things that we do in the church, the things that you do as ministry matter. We all have different parts in the puzzle. We're, we're all different parts of the body, but we're called to serve, whatever that is. And that's what was going on in this passage. And they were devoting themselves in service. Now, why would they do that? And here's why they would do that. They would give themselves, and and Luke is very particular using that word service three different times in the text. They were committed to service. They were committed to sacrificial service because the Lord who had called them was himself committed to such sacrificial service. Just think about Palm Sunday. Think about Jesus. Okay? The children came, they waved, some of y'all were waving the palm branch. They were waving the palm branches as the King of Kings rode into Jerusalem on a beautiful white stallion. Oh wait, it's a different story. As the King of Kings rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And then that king of kings, having ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey, went and he went to a banquet. And at that banquet with his disciples, they lavished great fanfare on him. They treated him like a king. Oh, wait, that's a different story. No, he got up and he took off his clothes and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And he went and did the job of a household servant and he washed the disciples' feet. And then, to show that his service would go even further, he went and he stood before Pilate and Herod. And he was silent. 
And he went to the cross. And he laid down his life in an act of service for his sheep. The text tells us that those were all acts of service. What did Jesus say? He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to serve, not to be what? Served. The apostles got it. (laughs) They got it. They heard loud and clear. They saw everything. They participated. They saw Jesus. They, They were ministered to when Jesus got down on his feet and washed them. They were aghast that he would do it, but he did it. And then having seen him go all the way to the cross and be resurrected, something triggered in their hearts and their minds, and they understood that to serve was critically important. And they wanted to do it the best way they could possibly do it. And the grumblers and complainers, they, you know, they, it wasn't happening just the right way, and so they were mad, and they, they were trying to undo it. And bless their hearts, as soon as they heard and they found out, they pulled everybody together and they did it the right way, and they laid hands on those men, and they sent those guys out to do even more service. And as we work our way through the book of Acts, what you're going to see is more and more and more people empowered to do ministry in the church. And let me just say, that's my vision, that's Marion's vision, that's your session's vision, is that you and I and all of us together would labor in ministry in this church. Why? Because the great shepherd of the sheep labored to free you up to serve one another and to serve the world around us. That's why he rode in on a donkey. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he gave up his life. So that you could serve one another. Love God. Love your neighbor. And serve the Lord. Let me pray. Father, you're good to us. We would thank you and bless you for all that you've done for us in Christ. What an amazing picture. Thank you for the early apostles. The early disciples. Followers of Christ that saw that ministry of love and gave willingly of themselves. Fathers, we enter this week as we see that picture displayed several times in the life of Christ. I pray that you would work in our hearts and free us from whatever burdens, whatever distractions, whatever whatever is in our brains that's keeping us from engaging in ministry. Free that up from us. Let us go and serve for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.